Welcome to the Life of an Average Somebody, a new podcast hosted by my dad, Coach Randy. My dad considers himself average, and that's okay. But to me and my three siblings that didn't want to record this with me, he is somebody. He's also somebody to my mom, his clients, his students, and his friends. In this podcast, my dad is going to share some stories that show how he went from ordinary to extraordinary in the eyes of those that know him best. He'll share how an average person's life could have a tremendous impact on others. Remember, like Dr. Seuss once said, to the world you may be one person, but to one person you may be the world. My dad might only be one person, but hopefully you will find meaning and value in what he has to offer. And who knows, maybe he'll become somebody to you too. Enjoy today's episode and thanks for listening. Hello there, and welcome to Life of an Average Somebody. This is your host, Coach Randy, and I am an average somebody. Thanks for being here. I appreciate it. I'm back for episode four, The Power of Fear. Ooh. My last episode focused on the elusiveness of happiness, and there's no better follow-up to the elusive bit of happiness than to deal with fear. And fear is everywhere and seems to be at every nook and cranny. As I took my road trip with my family, we went from New Jersey to Colorado to visit my father and oldest daughter. Uh, You would think that uh, many people in this country don't realize there's a pandemic going on and that uh, was very weird. So I'm a, I have experienced fear firsthand these past two weeks. We was, uh, for whatever it's worth, it's, it's safe. We did the road trip. We're safe. We're happy. Kids had a great time. But it was uh, pretty intense. We went into hotel rooms and sprayed stuff down. My kids thought I was over the top, which I probably was. But there's little bacteria that seems to be uh, everywhere, at least in the world in which I live in New Jersey, has had a tremendous impact on me and fear. And I thought it would be great to spend some time this episode talking about just the power of fear and what it means. And the truth is, fear is different. And I'm an average guy, but I do think that the time that I truly experienced fear for the first time was on February 23rd, 1995. Now, one might ask me, Coach, what happened on February 23rd, 1995 that you know so vividly that you first experienced fear? And that was the day my oldest daughter was born. And I think anybody who is a parent can resonate with the idea or has the idea resonate with them that we don't know fear until we have kids i mean up until then we wear capes we're pretty invulnerable nothing gets to us we can do anything we're smarter than everybody but the moment you have a child the world comes crashing down and what you thought you knew i used to be an expert on everything until she was born and then i realized i knew nothing at all and then on top of that realization of having a child the fear that enveloped me that i will probably spend the rest of my life uh worrying And to this day, you know, she's 25, my son's 23, I have a 14-year-old, 11-year-old, and every day I worry. Uh, I worry all the time. Uh, And I'm afraid. I'm afraid for the world in which they live. I'm afraid for the lifestyles. I'm afraid that 
what we have for them is not going to be uh, sufficient. I'm afraid that uh, something bad's going to happen that's out of our control, and it's just just fear. It's something that's very, very real in the terms of which we live. The idea and message or perception behind fear is is relative, and there are many people who explain what fear is. Um, Zig Ziglar once said that fear is false evidence appearing real, and that is something that I have done my best to adhere to and understand this idea about false evidence appearing real, but sometimes the fear is so relevant and so pervasive that it seems hard to say that it's false. And I talk about that because let's talk about, you know, bungee jumping. Uh, I don't think I could ever get the nerve up to bungee jump, but for some, bungee jumping is a thrill. It's something they would do and they're not afraid of it. Some people would love to go parasailing, uh, something I would not do because I'm afraid to. Hand gliding is something that some people would do, but I, for one, would fear it. The idea behind fear is relative. It changes for everybody in terms of what that means. And I would be uh, surprised if I met a parent who has kids that doesn't experience fear on a daily basis just because of the well-being of their own kids, no matter what the socioeconomic status is, no matter what the race, gender, sexual orientation uh, whatever the uh, ethnicity is, that once you have kids, fear is prevalent, that all of us seem to be afraid of something. Uh, we're afraid of our jobs, we're afraid of the economy, we're afraid of disease, we're afraid of getting sick, we're afraid of certain values and morals in which we are raised, being challenged. We are uh, constantly afraid. As a matter of fact, uh, a quick funny story. On the road trip, I had the... Uh, opportunity to go back and return to my uh, college campus, University of Colorado, up in Boulder. And we uh, went to Chautauqua Park. We did a little hike. Then we went to campus. And before we walked on the campus, we parked at the hill and walked around. We walked on campus, and I wanted to show my girls, you know, where I live, the dorm fairing. The only building on campus that was open was the uh, UMC, the University Memorial Center, and the bookstore, so we had a chance to walk in there, buy some goods, take some pictures. The the third is Pearl Street, and Pearl Street has always been a favorite place of mine, and I have fond memories of my college years of something called the Pearl Street Mall Crawl. Part of the excitement of walking through Pearl Street was showing my kids this wonderful place. It just so happened, as I was walking with my family with some ice cream to get onto Pearl Street, a homeless person almost got run over by a car. And I was concerned, but he was more concerned about his cardboard piece of paper and picked it up out of the street and started screaming, yelling and cursing. And we had my brother-in-law was out there to visit with his wife and my niece and nephew who were four and nine. And then my kids yelling and screaming, cursing. He went after my brother-in-law. Uh, my brother-in-law's hands went up and I'm like, dude, what's going on? Everything OK? And before I knew it, he looked at me and he whacked me in the head. Yes, I got hit and assaulted by a homeless person in, in Boulder, Colorado. Now, what really upset me the most is that I asked people to call 911, and I eventually called 911. My family was trying to uh, hold me back and just tell me not to deal with it, but I was very upset. I had just been hit by a homeless person, and I figured he was going to hit other people and was going to go after other people, and the police did not seem to care to get there so quickly. Uh, and so I just crossed the street and kind of kept my distance following him, calling 911, asking for their help. And I was on the phone probably for a good 10 minutes, pretty much yelling at the 911 dispatch, where are you, where are you, where are the sirens, where are the sirens, he's going into a market, there are people there, 
he kept telling Mr. Nathan, just stay put. So I stayed put. And then finally, he walked so far away, they asked me what he wore. And after a while, I just gave up and said, sorry, folks, it's just too late. You're not going to do anything. And I hung up, and the police never showed up. And so I walked back to my car. I took my hat off. I took my shirt off. Um, I was just really afraid of the disease about COVID. And I, I feel terrible because this person is homeless, not because of necessarily because he chose to be homeless. He's not necessarily a criminal, although he did assault me, um, but it was clear based on my understanding of what I saw. He was probably a paranoid schizophrenic. And eventually I go back to my car. I threw my hat away, threw my shirt away. I doused myself literally with probably a gallon of hand sanitizer in my hair and my body, uh, walking back to my car. Um, and in hindsight, I probably look like a crazy person because I sat there talking and screaming. I was just really, really angry. And I was fearful because the police never showed up. The police were supposed to do it and come back. So I changed my clothes. And sure enough, uh, 15 minutes after the fact, I get a phone call back from the police saying, we're here to take your statement. Where are you? And I was like, but it's over. It's done. It's 15 minutes ago. The guy's gone. And he asked me what it is that I wanted to do when they caught him. Because I knew exactly, and I would imagine they knew exactly who he was. Uh, what do I want? And I said, please get him to a mental health institution to give him help. So he let me get this straight. You don't want us to arrest him? I said, no, he's not a criminal. I mean, he's assaulted me, but he needs help. Uh, and I remember uh, once at the phone call, and I said, listen, I'm not taking my time. I'm going to go back and do whatever I can to enjoy the rest of my, my trip. I remember the kids, my, my girls, my wife, my family. At one point, my wife got so mad at me. She was so afraid. She actually threw a cup of water in my face. Well-deserved because I was angry. I was upset. I was, I was fearful. Uh, and I wasn't really fearful for myself. I was afraid for my wife, my family, my kids, and just how bad it was that there was no police presence whatsoever in Pearl Street. Not Nothing. It took them 15 minutes after the moment of the initial 911 phone calls to have someone come back and say, okay, Mr. Nathan, we're here. Uh, and that created a tremendous amount of fear. And I talked to some people as to why that might have happened. Some say it's because in Boulder, police are tired of the Black Lives Matter and want to prove a point. I really hope that's not the case. Others say there's just significant budget cuts over what's going on and just don't have the staff. Uh, and it was a fearful moment, but something that has kept with me in terms of why I want to talk about fear this week, because um, I wasn't, my, my family, my wife, my girls, they were, they were afraid. Me, I was angry. I wasn't fearful. I wasn't fearing my life. I didn't feel at any moment I was in jeopardy. Uh, and so my perspective was out of anger uh, and their perspective was out of fear. And that's what's so significant about this idea and concept of fear. Take a moment and think about all the things that you're afraid of, everything that you're fearful of. Those are the things that interfere immediately when it comes to happiness. For some people, right, they have a spouse that says, I want a divorce. And for them, that creates a sense of fear, while others, it creates a sense of relief. Or they go and they find out they're going to get fired from a job. And you sit down and you become fearful and afraid because you just realize you lost your income. Meanwhile, a week or two after that, it ends up being a positive step that it's now relief because you didn't like the job in the first place. And now you have something new to get. Or there's a chance where you get a phone call where a parent has died or a loved one has died, uh, a brother, a mother, and the amount of fear that goes through your body. Uh, I, uh, back in April of 2002, was contacted by my mother's husband at the time that my mother was rushed to the hospital in Arizona uh, from sepsis 
and strep pneumonia and watched her plugged up and put onto a machine and eventually had to make the decision that the machine was just keeping her alive. And I remember the fear that I faced making the decision that uh, we had to turn the machine off. And the people in the room was my brother, my sister-in-law, my wife, and myself, and of course my mom's husband at the time. And I was just afraid of what my life would be like without my mom. She had, uh, we've had our peaks and valleys, as sometimes kids and parents do. But there I was watching her breathing with the machine, and they took the machine off, and within 30, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, it was clear that her lungs and her body was not able to breathe on herself. And I remember the fear that I experienced and just kept saying, breathe, 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 Mom, just breathe. And she didn't. And her face turned purple, and... I could tell that she couldn't breathe anymore. And then out of nowhere, after the life left her and her face went from purple back to this regular skin color, knew she was at peace and she just seemed like she was sleeping. And it was a very fearful moment. And I didn't know what was going to happen and how life was going to move on. And I think all of us at some point have these moments in our life where the fear becomes so overwhelming, we just don't know what to do. And as you think about the fear and how we address it, fear is a natural emotion. Fear partly keeps us protected. Fear is what we feel when we want to take a risk, but we're afraid to fail, and so we make other choices. But most of the time, I mean, having fear of losing a loved one, being assaulted, being attacked, are reasonable. Most fear that we have as people, as average people, are fears that are made up inside our own mind. We're afraid that somehow we're not going to be successful. We're afraid that we're going to somehow become homeless. We're afraid that something bad is going to happen to our kids. It gets inside our mind and we go so crazy over and over again. This fear keeps repeating itself over and over. Uh, Which is why I love Zig Ziglar's acronym of fear, which is false evidence appearing real. But there are other acronyms that are often used when it comes to fear that I think are important to share to an average somebody. That... It's okay to be afraid. Right now, there's certain things happening, regardless of which side, that there's things for us to fear about. There are things that are often out of our control. And things that are out of our control are often elements that play into our sense of fear. And we'll talk about uh, the idea of control next week and how that impacts us as average people. And so there are some other acronyms that I think are relevant in terms of fear. Some is... uh, F everything and run, which is a joke uh, and somewhat uh, humorous that you just kind of forget everything and just run away, or F everything and rise. Uh, And the idea behind fear is to not let it consume us as average somebodies, but to accept the fact that fear is a natural part of our human emotions. And that when fear comes up into our body, it's there to protect us. And it's okay for that fear to be there initially. But then through our perception in our own minds, we have to decide, is that fear really protecting us or is the fear holding us back from what we really want? And when it comes to happiness, happiness is not a result of something that happens A plus B equals C equals happiness. Happiness is a state of being. And one can still be happy when faced with fear because the idea is, is when you're afraid, that means there's other things going on in your life that are relevant and important to who you are. And if you didn't have those moments in your life, those people, then you'd have nothing to be afraid of. 
So the next time you have some fear, next time you feel afraid, which might happen the next hour, the next day, the next week, is take some time and think about why it's there. Embrace the fear. Say, thank you for being here. And allow it to present itself in such a way you don't fight it, that you learn from it and let yourself become stronger than that fear. And instead of F everything and run, look at it, F everything and rise. Rise to the occasion, accept the fear, understand what it's there for, learn from it, and become a better person. This is Coach Randy. I am your host of Life of an Average Somebody. Thank you so much for being here this week. Look forward to talking to you next week. 